0: Amen. You can stay standing. Psych. <laughs> if you remain standing, um, I'd love to read our passage this morning from James two fourteen through twenty six. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. If you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish can't you see that the faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed in it, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Dylan. I'm really excited to be here this morning with you. and I have a question to start. I'm curious, who in here likes Oreos? Any Oreo fans in here? Yeah? I, I love Oreos. You know, the the phrase goes, uh, Oreos are milk's favorite cookie. Well, I'd put like Dylan's favorite cookie as well. Um, I love these things. If I need a snack, I will start eating these and I'll grab a couple. And before I know it, like a sleeve and a half is gone from the package that I just opened. And and it's like, where did it go? (laughs) How does that happen? I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, I eat them. That's how it happens. Um, Recently, though, there's a PhD student from MIT um, who got curious and decided to run a test to see if it were possible to take an Oreo and when you twist it apart, if it would, if there would be, ever be equal cream on both sides. If you're ever wondering about what they do at MIT, like this is the super important stuff that's happening over there. So th- this is the test and um, they they took a machine called a rheometer, which they, um, aptly renamed for this, the Oreometer, and uh, they, they did tests of all different kinds. They took over a thousand different Oreos, different uh, flavors, different varieties, and they would, they would put it together um, and they would test it and they would do so many different speeds. Um, the slowest speed they would do, they would uh, take it and they would like take five minutes, five minutes to twist this thing apart and see what would happen and then they sped it up a little bit and they speed up a little more and speed up a little more. And eventually they got so fast that they would spin it 100 times faster than humanly possible, all to see if it were possible to get uh, cream on both sides of the wafer that were equal amounts. What it finally came down to, um, no matter how fast you did it, no matter which Oreo you used, the cream on an Oreo would never split evenly between the two. one would go on the other side or it would just completely crumble and break apart. And what was going on here is that they were trying to split something apart that wasn't intended to be split apart in the first place. For centuries, the church has been trying to run a similar test like this here. We've been debating and theorizing the real relationship between faith and works. And we come to a passage like ours today and, and wonder, uh, how, how do we understand this? Paul says one thing in his letters, it's by faith alone that we're saved, but James says something completely different and, and we're left wondering, are they contradicting each other? How do we uh, make sense of what's going on here? Do they contradict or are they more aligned than it seems? This morning we're gonna look um, at the, primarily at the relationship between faith and works as James talks about it and how this plays out in the life of a believer. But we briefly will address James and Paul here at the beginning to show that there's really not a contradiction between what is being said between both of them. Let's start and jump in um, to verse 14 together to look at this. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Verse fourteen, James begins his thought with a couple of rhetorical, and I think even reflective questions. What good is it if your faith doesn't have works that go along with it? Can this kind of faith save anyone? Some translations just say, "Can faith save you?" Which misses what James is really asking here. And I think the NLT captures this really well when when it uh, and how he says it. Or how it's translated, can this kind of faith save you? The original language is making reference not to, to faith in general, but the particular kind of faith that James is, has just mentioned, a faith that is not then demonstrated by works. What James is not saying is that faith cannot save you. Scripture is clear on this point. We are saved by grace through faith alone. There are no works of the law we can perform that will save us from sin and death. Let's quickly look at what Paul has to say about works. Um, These are the works, works of the law that Paul gets all worked up about. In Romans 3.20, Paul says, "...for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands." And then in verse 28, Paul says it even more clearly, we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Paul got worked up on works of the law. These cannot and will not save us. God's law was meant to show that we desperately needed to be saved, to be saved from our sin and death because we couldn't keep the law on our own. This is why we need Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life and perfectly kept God's law on our behalf. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive his work on our behalf to show that we are justified before God. And this is what Paul says, this is why he says we cannot boast. It is the free gift of God that we receive by grace through faith alone that, because Jesus did it for us but these are not the kinds of works that James is referencing. James was getting worked up about a different kind of work that he was not seeing being lived out in the life of his church. And these are works of love. A way of living that's aligned with Jesus' royal law of love, like we talked about in our passage last week. These works are best described as general obedience to Christ, living life according to Jesus' will and Jesus' ways. This is the very specific kind of faith that James has in mind when he's writing to his church, a faith that is professed and confessed, but that is where it stops. James is saying if faith stops here, then it is cause to question the quality of that kind of faith. Back to what he said in verse 14, what good is it? Faith in Jesus, says James, must be confessed and professed, yes, but then these must lead people then to address the needs of the world around them through works of love, acts of love, which then point to the heart transformation that has taken place within us because of our faith in Jesus. As we see in James and all scripture, genuine faith that saves will naturally be, uh, or be shown through genuine works of love. It's like a seed that's planted in the ground and when it's warmed by the sun, will naturally start to grow. It's the seed of faith planted in our hearts that when warmed by the, the love, of the Father will naturally grow. It will sprout out of the ground and it's going to bear fruit that is good. It's the natural process of what happens. This is essentially what James has been saying so far in his letter. He's writing to his church that's spread out across the land and he's trying to remind them of this kind of practical love and what it looks like to show that to others because of their faith in Jesus. And here's some, just by way of review, here's some things that, co- that James has covered so far. To show that your, your faith is genuine, he says, we show that through the way that we speak to one another and the way that we listen to one another. Through the way you live in meekness and humility, not in pride. By the way that we care for widows and orphans and those who are vulnerable in our society. Through the way that we show no partiality or how we treat other people. Not showing favoritism or unfair treatment towards others, but by treating every single person with love and dignity because they bear the image of God. The kind of faith James says is no good, the kind that cannot save is the faith that's not demonstrated with works of love and obedience to Jesus. And to demonstrate his point, James uses his own illustration um, in verses four, uh, 15 and, uh, to 17. Sorry, I about lost my water bottle there. <laughs> Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, And you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. What we really believe is going to be shown in how we behave our beliefs are always going to shape and impact our behavior. Another way to say it is what's most important to us or what we care about most is going to be revealed in our actions. And this has played out in so many ways. Um, many of you know that I'm a big Purdue basketball fan. Um, and if you don't know, I'm a really big Purdue basketball fan. And um, the, part of this is because this is we, we grew up in West Lafayette and it was so ingrained in our family to like, we were gonna watch the game together. And uh, we went to as many games as we could go to and it kind of became like just a part of the the schedule and the family rhythm and and nowadays, like I have so many Purdue clothes, I could wear a different thing for like two weeks straight probably. Um, I know when the game is coming up throughout the week and when it's especially a big game, I feel nervous the day of and uh, like hopefully they win and when they win, I feel so much relief and I'm glad and when they lose, I'm so frustrated and I shut down, and I know that's super healthy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But all I'd say, like, what is most important to us, the things that we give our heart to are going to be reflected and shown in how we behave. There are other ways that we do this. When you love and you're committed to your work, you're going to give all of your heart to it and all of your effort to it. When spending time together as a family is important, you carve out time and make sacrifices in your schedule for this to happen. To all the, the high schoolers out there, I know it's uh, you know, getting time for APs and final exams, and when you want to do well on your exams, you're going to spend more time studying on it. The things that are most important to us, what we give our heart to, the things that we believe are important is going to impact the way that we live and how we act. This is the point that uh, James is trying to illustrate with his scenario here. What we truly believe is going to be shown in how we behave. So, how should we respond when we see somebody who is in need? Faith without works is like seeing someone, uh, a fellow brother who's cold and hungry, and all the person does is just give him some, some well wishes to say, God bless you. I hope you're, you're going to find what you need, but then never stop to, to ask, maybe I'm the one who God wants to use to provide that need, to be that blessing for that person. James is asking, what does it say about our faith and what we believe if this is our response? What does this communicate? One commentator says it this way, our words sound fine while our lack of action screams, I don't really care about this. It, uh, I don't really mean this. To not show love for our brother or sister through works of love says more than we realize about what we believe, what is important to us, and what we have given our hearts to. You know how the phrase goes, easier said than done. It's always easier to say things that are kind and well-meaning than it is to show kindness. It's easier to say, I love you, than it is to show you that I love you. I tell Molly, my wife, every day that I love her. But if all I do is, is say that to her, and I don't actually show that through my actions, then eventually it's probably going to communicate, I don't really mean this. But I try to show her the way I love her by the way I communicate by the way, I, I speak to her entreat her or try to wake up at three in the morning when Eli, our five month old, is, is uh, crying and not act like I'm still asleep. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can show her I love her by doing things and not just saying it. We give our hearts, um, or what we give our hearts to is going to, to be seen in how we act. What we believe will without fail be shown in our behavior. And James calls a faith and belief in Jesus that is not then expressed in behavior, in our actions, is useless. Unless it produces good deeds and works of love, it's as if it's dead. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. James makes his point another way by setting up a hypothetical objection that someone else could possibly make. Now someone may argue, some people have faith and other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. What's the big deal somebody can say? Some people have faith, other people have works. We all have different gifts. I just choose to express mine this way, you choose to express yours that way. What's the big deal, James? But James is saying, this is not possible. My deeds will be the evidence that my faith is genuine. They always go together. They cannot be split apart. When we split up our faith from our works, we're going to fall in one of two directions. First, faith can just become about believing the right things, saying the right things, but never more. Faith in Jesus can become nominal with no need for works, for Jesus' work is the only work that counts, right? So we strive for a theological sense and, and believe that what we need is more knowledge. We just need to learn more things. We take in and we take in and we take in, but then we never put into practice what we are actually learning. The problem is we can know so much about Jesus and never surrender to Jesus. James gives a startling reminder about this. You know who else has really good theology? You know who else has a lot of knowledge about God? The demons do. Demons know exactly who Jesus is. Even they believe that God is one, and it causes them to shudder, James is saying that it's not enough to believe the right things only. Some uh, believe James is showing a little sarcasm here in what he says. Like, hey, good for you. <laughs> like, you've got this part down. Uh, you, you've uh, got the basics down. Bravo. Uh, but I think, I think James is going a different direction. Remember, he's critiquing and trying to correct a confession of faith that isn't lived out. I think he's actually commending people um, with this kind of faith, saying, Hey, you're on the right track. You're doing well by believing the right things, but how is it affecting the way that you live? Even the demons believe this same thing and their response is to tremble in terror. What is your response to the profession of your faith in Jesus? The other way we can fall when we split faith and works apart is by forgetting that we are incapable of saving ourselves. We are helpless in and of ourselves to do this. And yet we are wired and and hardwired um, to make hard and fast rules out of anything and everything. And so the danger is to read a passage like this or hear a sermon like this and say, I've just got to do more. It's all up to me and my works to earn my salvation. I need to do better. I need to be better. I have to do more to make sure that I am good with God. And our hearts turn back into legalistic machines that put our faith and our hope and our salvation in what I can do in my abilities and my works and not the work of Jesus on my behalf. James is saying it's not enough to do good things only. Faith and works cannot be split apart. They were never meant to be separated. And James says that they must go together hands in hands. But how do we hold both of them together? How do we keep ourselves from twisting apart the Oreo that was never meant to be split apart in the first place? It's all rooted. It is all rooted in our understanding of who we are putting our faith in. Do I just have faith that my sins are forgiven or do I have faith in the person of Jesus who forgives my sin? and who asks me to give my life back to him in return. There's a, a New Testament scholar. His name is Matthew Bates, and he's been studying this concept of faith that's used in scripture, and um, him and many others are learning from his study some significant implications about what faith was used for, or the word of faith used in, in this ancient culture. And from his discovery, he... Um, rediscovered the understanding of faith and belief that has such a uh, deeper and richer meaning. He says, faith in the ancient world was used to describe someone's loyal devotion to a king. And the way he captures this understanding of loyal devotion is with the word allegiance. In his book, Uh, called Salvation by Allegiance Alone, Bates defines faith from a biblical point of view this way, that faith in Christ is above all allegiance to Jesus the King. Faith in Christ is above all allegiance to Jesus the King, Understanding faith in Jesus as allegiance to Jesus and his kingship is the best way to hold together faith and works that James is talking about. You can't have one without the other from this perspective. That's because when Jesus is king of our lives, our lives are no longer our own. Faith in Jesus, allegiance to the king, demands every single part of my and your life. From this perspective, following the will and the way of Jesus, it's not a suggestion. It is absolutely everything. There is no other option. Because we belong to him, the expectation is that I give my full allegiance to him and to him alone. Maybe you remember a a few weeks ago, Pastor Gabe Smith was preaching and he used um, his example of joining the army. In the moment you are sworn into the armed forces, the expectation and requirement is that you now belong to the army and you uh, do what they expect you to do and do what they say. There has to be a shift in how your life is lived. You can't take the oath and then continue living your life as if nothing has changed as if nothing else has happened. And this is what James has in mind when he says, faith without works is dead. You can claim allegiance to Jesus the king, but if there are no works in your life that suggest that your life is being lived for your king, nothing suggesting that you're willing to obey the rule and the reign of his kingdom, then something is misaligned. Allegiance to Jesus the king demands we be conformed more and more into the image and likeness of our king. And the only way this happens is when we live a life that is expressed in works of love that follow the royal law of love. It's living a life that demonstrates a, a life of an ever growing submission and surrender to the one who gave his life for ours. The demand to follow Jesus is high. Salvation is a free gift, yes, but it's going to cost everything. But we must remember the nature of our king that he is good that he is gracious that he is loving love is to always be the primary motivation in our willingness to give our allegiance to him our call to love others well does not come out of compulsion it doesn't come out of compulsion but it comes from being compelled by the way that our king models his very own love for us This is how it's possible to hold faith and works together. This is what discipleship looks like. This is finding and following Jesus. How do we keep faith and works together? Jesus, uh, it's faith in Jesus and allegiance to him as our king. It's living a loyal life that's marked by obedience to his will and his ways and being conformed into his image and likeness. It's an abiding allegiance an abiding allegiance that has such a deep trust in him that nothing is off limits in our lives that would keep us from following after him or loving others. This is what faith lived out by actions looks like. In the final verses of of our passage this morning, James gives two examples of what living faith looks like and his Jewish Christian audience would have known all about it. The first example that he gives is the pinnacle of the the pinnacle example of Old Testament faith, um, Abraham, the patriarch. Verse twenty one. Don't you remember that our ancestors, our ancestor Abraham, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And he was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. The point of James' reference here to Abraham is to highlight that he had a deep faith in God that was lived out with actions in his willingness to offer isaac um, as a sacrifice he displayed a faith that was so deep in god an allegiance so loyal to him that he was willing to risk everything all that god had given to him all that god had promised for him that could only come through his son isaac he was willing to risk his obedience showed that his faith and his actions were working together there was no place in his life that, God did not, uh, that did not belong to God, and this was displayed in his actions. And the second example that James uses is not another patriarch, but a prostitute named Rahab, who could not be more different than Abraham. He was a wealthy man, and she was a poor woman. He a patriarch, she a prostitute. And yet, she displays a heart that has the exact same posture as Abraham. What's James' point in this? She, uh, too, showed her belief to be genuine because of the action that she took. She herself believed that God had given Jericho and its land to God and his people, And at risk of her own life, she gave the spies a place to stay in her own home, and she even helped them escape and flee from the king who was trying to kill them. James is trying to say here, no matter who it is, whether patriarch or prostitute, deep abiding faith and allegiance to God is demonstrated through actions when we live in full surrender to him. And this is what we're called to today as well. A faith that is good, a faith that can save, is a faith that is deeply connected and growing in an abiding relationship with Jesus, the King. A faith that is growing in loyal allegiance to Him and to Him alone. Just like the Oreo, our faith and our works can't be split apart because they were never meant to be split apart. It's by and through our obedience to Jesus, our King the surrender of our hearts to his will and his ways, living out the, the loyal uh, royal law of love that we demonstrate our faith in him to be true and to be living. The bottom line for this morning, faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. As we conclude, I wanna end the way that we began. We started with, James gave a couple of uh, Reflective questions, and I just want to ask a couple of questions for us to reflect on, as well. And just take take a moment, take space, just to um, to think through these, to make it a prayer for yourself. But here they are: Have we surrendered to Jesus as King? What ways may Jesus be inviting us to a deeper? allegiance and unqualified surrender to Him? Are there areas of my life that God is inviting me to be more open about my allegiance in Him? Maybe with workers uh, or coworkers or around the dinner table with family or people we hang out with over the weekend. How has my faith in Jesus changed the way that I live? And are there ways that God is calling me to live out my faith by loving others. The bottom line, faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are our good and gracious and loving king. And this morning we pray together that you would help us grow in our allegiance to you Would you show us the ways that you invite us into deeper obedience and surrender to you? And when we are given opportunities to love others, may we be compelled by your very own love to care for them as you would. Our lives belong to you, Jesus. Help us to live more faithfully and fully into this truth. We pray this in your name, amen.